With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Did communists end the Holocaust? Has religion been the cause of most wars? Is there a crisis in sexual identity and sports leagues? We answer these questions and more on this episode of Good Take, Bad Take. Hey friends, welcome to this episode of Good Take, Bad Take. This is the show where we go through our social media feeds. We try to find interesting takes, either interesting because we like them or interesting because we don't like them so much. And then we break down uh, the, the meat of the issue at hand and try to hopefully offer an interesting perspective to all of you. My name is Donald and I'm here with my co-host Britt and we're going to get started. But before we do, just a reminder to leave a like, a subscription, a comment, all that good stuff. If, if you uh, feel so inclined, it helps us out and we love uh, love the engagement. And uh, you can follow us on all of our socials. If you're watching the video on YouTube, you can see the handles up there. If you're listening, that is good take, bad take pod on Instagram and good bad take pod on Twitter and YouTube. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get started. So the first uh, <laughs> the first tweet comes to us from uh, a verified, which we get so many more verified tweets now that you can pay for it on Twitter Blue. Uh, verified Tim Anderson. I don't know if he's actually a notable person or if he's just is taking a part of Elon's uh, you know revolution on Twitter here. But he uh, he tweets out basic history with an image that shows Side by side uh, soldiers, one with the label Nazi saying started the Holocaust, and the next one is labeled communist saying ended the Holocaust. That is the difference. Um, You know, (laughs) I think trying to retort to the idea that a lot of uh, liberty minded folks uh, and and just generally conservatives will, will throw that, you know, Nazis and communists were both bad. And he's saying no. There's actually a difference here. Uh, the communists ended the Holocaust. Uh, what do you think, Brett? Uh, yeah, it, argument. It's definitely. I mean, he says basic history, and if you take the Gen Z uh, interpretation of what basic means, which is lame, uh, I think that's <laughs> what this take is. It's so bad. It's like it's so basic that it misses. You know, whether you think that the Holocaust killed, you know, 30 million people or 100 million people or whatever it is, it's still millions of people, right? Uh, and so it, it misses that whole, you know, all the gulag uh, aspects and and uh, the Holdemore and all these different things that uh, are really, really bad. So, yes, uh, the communists definitely did help end the Holocaust only for them to start uh, the next uh, bloodthirsty genocide of the 20th century. So it's a really bad take. And this is kind of I think we've engaged with takes like this before. I mean, people will say things like like, oh, no, not uh, uh, Stalin's Russia, you know, the USSR didn't kill as many people as history says. It's like, okay, like you're talking like 
they're like, they killed tens of millions of people less. It's like, okay, well, tens of million people less than 100 million is still tens of millions of people total. So uh, it's not like it's any better. I mean, once you start getting into that, that those type of figures, uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, it does matter, but it, it in terms of the scale of evil, it's about the same. You can't really get much worse uh, than that. So what do you think? Yeah, this to me is sort of one of those takes where they're trying to win a semantic battle and you're completely missing the point of the war <laughs> with not the historic war here and not historic battles of course being like okay you can say that the communists ended the holocaust and on a on a on a literal level that might technically be true right because they were part of the forces that stopped the nazis from committing or, or to continue to commit the holocaust but i think it's a disingenuous take for more than one reason. One, which you obviously brought up, which I think is the main issue, which is, of course, they started their own holocaust of sorts on their own people. And uh, but but secondarily, this wasn't done out of a moral sense of, you know, we're here to end the holocaust. Yeah. I mean, not even the U.S.'s involvement, much as the basic history books want to tell you uh, it was a it was a noble deed. No, it wasn't a noble deed for the U.S. to join the war to end the holocaust that, you, you know, you could make the claim that the U.S. joined out of a noble uh want to preserve the west and western ideologies we also know that's not really true um even if you don't buy the the evidence about fdr baiting us into co the conflict by setting up pearl harbor uh, you know at the end of the day the the u.s really responded to being attacked and got into the war so the u.s didn't join to end the holocaust let alone the communists or, of russia they weren't joining out of a human rights kind of perspective to end the holocaust they may have inadvertently done so but it wasn't it wasn't the uh it wasn't the the, the grounds for that i mean it'd be it would be akin to leveling you know saying oh well frankly the united states is responsible for starting the great transit and tech buildup of japan because we leveled some of their cities with you know atomic bombs and that meant that they got to rebuild their infrastructure from scratch with modern, you know, with modern technology. So really the US was the ones who started the 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 Japanese tech boom. You're and, I mean that would be an absolutely <laughs> atrocious take to to, yeah. to make. And I think that in a sense you have the same kind of take here to say the communists ended the Holocaust. One that was not the point of what they did even if it was a literal result of what they did. And two, they went on by doing that to also commit atrocities uh, on a magnitude higher scale. So the, the the point of the take, if you're trying to make a moral justification, is really missed on, on every angle there. Yeah, I mean, the people forget to, I mean, the Holocaust didn't just kill Jews. It killed, it killed lots of different people. But sure. I mean, that's what it's known for, right? It's like it was the campaign to, to, to eliminate the Jews. And uh, people forget that Stalin himself was also very anti-Semitic in, in a lot of ways. I mean, he was anti-cosmopolitan. Um, which he synonymously, you know, kind of associated that with the Jews. And according to a lot of the people that were around him that knew him, including, you know, his successor, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, it was like, yeah, Stalin was pretty anti-Semitic, had lots of plans to get rid of Jews or do awful things to them and, and to drive them out, which he did. Um, and I'm sure there were many Jews that, you know, wh whether it was on purpose or whether it was just the fact that they were sweeping up and killing so many people in the gulags and through, uh, you know, the various famines that they caused. I mean, many Jews were killed because of that as well. So, uh, it, it's just such a it misses so much. Right. And that's why I think it's funny that he, he Tim Anderson says, oh, this is basic history because it is indeed basic. It, it's it's factually 
true, but it's not actually true, right? Like the communists did help in the Holocaust, um, but the conclusion that he tries to draw from that or that he's trying to purport, um, you know, is not not actually very true. Yeah, factual but not truthful. Factual but not the, truthful. Ever evergreen phrase goes from uh, Michael Malice. All right, let's move to our next post here. This one comes from uh, again. You'll have to correct me if I'm mispronouncing this. Jamie Workowski, is that right? Torkowski. 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 Oh, it is. I, I wasn't sure if that was a middle name or initial or not. There we go. Torkowski. Okay. Uh, and he writes, "Food for thought. There is no crisis when it comes to transgender folks dominating sports." There is, however, a crisis when it comes to suicide rates among transgender and non-binary individuals. To, to those saying, just give them their own division, as someone else pointed out, othering someone is the first step to dehumanizing them. Which brings us back to the actual crisis. Transgender human beings dying by suicide because of the ignorance, judgment, and hate they experience day after day. So my question is this. Which bothers you more, the purely hypothetical crisis that trans folks are coming to take over the women's tour, or the possibility that a living, breathing transgender human being, hoping for love and acceptance, would read these comments and feel like an even more of an outsider? The tour likely won't change. But if the surfing community would stop with the fear and actually considering a big, excuse me, and actually consider a bigger picture bigger than the BS culture war, we could not only change but save lives. And to the Christians reading this, I'm pretty sure Jesus was a big fan of love. And love is very interested in things like seeing people want to stay alive. <laughs> okay, long post there. Oh, man. Um, what, what, are, what are your thoughts? And maybe you can fill in if, if anyone's not familiar with who this individual is. Um, yeah, so, so Jamie Turkowski, um, we've, on, on cringe posts, we've done many, many uh, self-cringes where I have nice emo hair and in many of those emo hair pictures i'm wearing a shirt that is from a company called or a nonprofit called to write love in our arms there's like an anti-cutting emo thing movement whatever you want to call it back in uh the early 2000s jamie torkowski was the founder of it um so that's why i've followed him and obviously been very disappointed in many of his takes as of late um so i think this is a really terrible take um you know, the, the one of the big issues that I take with this is that these people will say things like, what does he say? Someone, uh, the first step to dehumanizing someone is to, to other them. And he equates that to having a division or noticing a distinction between two people. So why, why isn't it dehumanized? I'm, I'm sure Jamie wouldn't say it's dehumanizing for there to be a WNBA and, a, you know, an NBA league, right? Like we separate out these uh, two categories because there's an obvious physical difference in both ability um, and just like in appearance, right? Like we just know when a man is a man and when a woman is a woman and their athletic abilities are pretty distinct. And so therefore we separate it so that there is an even playing field within those divisions for people to actually bring out the best within themselves. Um, and so I, I, I would, I don't think Jamie would say it's dehumanizing, you know, to those women to be like, no, you, you, you know, you, you, because you're in a different league, you know, you're less human. Um, it's like, no, that's just part of it. And I think I brought this up before, but you know, I train in Muay Thai, um, and we do pad work some some days. And when you do pad work, you know, like people are hitting your pads and you're holding it for your partner. And there's a big difference between when a man hits you, even if the man is the same weight as as the woman that's hitting, and the woman might even have better technique than the man. But there's a huge difference in power, and it has to do with biological factors like bone density, uh, you know, fast twitch muscles. And uh, I read a statistic somewhere. I can't remember. I wanted to put it on here, but. 
Basically, a man is, on average, the average man is stronger than 97.5% of women. Um, and the inverse is true, right? Like the average woman is only, woman is only stronger than, you know, 2.5% uh, of males out there. And it's not because, you know, men are more disciplined or there's something that makes them better or worse than, than women in, you know, in an intrinsic way, but it's just a biological reality, right? And so I just can't stand, you know, this guy saying, because we acknowledge biological reality, we are dehumanizing someone. I think that's a really awful take. I don't think it actually helps the people that are suffering from transgenderism, regardless of whether you are, you know, whether you believe in that or don't believe in it. It's like, well, the, the whole core of the issue is that you're not recognizing that they are different, right? Like, that's what this person, that's what Jamie's arguing for, is that we should recognize that they're different. Um, what we're just saying is that there's a way that you recognize that they're different, Um yeah, so I, I'll let you. It's a big post. So there's a lot of meat to go through. Absolutely, there is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that you have to recognize too when it comes to the the issue. I, I don't want to downplay the idea that people who identify as transgender having suicidal rates and those things that is a bad thing, right? We, we, we are called to compassion. We are called to love these people, but love doesn't take the form of affirming every single identity that someone takes, I think we can quite strongly recognize that there are things that sometimes people want. There are sometimes things that people identify with that are not healthy for themselves. And I'm not claiming to be a, a, a particular expert in this line of thought, but there's also this false assumption that a lot of people make that is the only reason, the only possible explanation why there is a higher suicidal rate amongst these individuals is because of the cultural backlash. And I just don't think that that is necessarily the only takeaway you can get from that. I think when you look at the, the culture, which I would argue right now is by and large supportive of these people in all of the public ways, um, you're getting affirmation probably from a, a large swab now, and that's not to say there aren't people who's in their personal lives are getting harassed or or you know mocked or or whatever whatever the case may be. But there are a lot of people who who struggle with these issues regardless of their of that you know independent of the of their immediate surroundings, independent of the cultural surroundings. And I think that those are you have to recognize that if transgenderism is in fact some kind of a, an identity crisis issue there is a large reasonable assumption that can be made that the the, the, the suicidal rates has to do with them being mentally unwell and feeling yeah. like they don't they're disassociative and i think that when you look at the rates of people who have transitioned people who don't transition people who want to detransition you see the the stats are somewhat common in terms of how they feel about th those rates, about how they, you know, how they feel how, if they're suicidal, if they commit these actions, those kinds of things. And I think that that, you know, you can you can take stats and twist them any way you like, which is why I don't like, you know, looking at oh well, this X stat says this and that stat says why, because you can really, de depending on how you measure parameters. But when you recognize that there are similar trends amongst all three groups, you have to recognize that it's a real possibility that the the mental um, problems there need to be addressed directly head on and not just by affirming that kind of transitionary care because that doesn't just solve the problem if you're admitting that trans people are still having high suicide rates you know if they're if they're still having higher suicide rates before the transition people like this will claim 
oh, it's because they weren't allowed to go into their correct identity. If they have these high suicide rates after they have a, a biological transition, oh, it's because they were being mocked culturally. You can make a justification however you want, but when the, when the stats are similar across the board for this kind of thing, you have to recognize that maybe there's, it's, there's just a mental problem that exists. And I'm not saying they're lesser for it or that it's not a serious issue, but that maybe you need to actually address the problem instead of just affirming what people want uh, in the short term and calling that love. That's not really love. Love is sometimes saying hard truths. And uh, sometimes it's it's not affirming the thing that seems like it's going to be the, the, the easiest thing. I would think someone who's against cutting would, would understand this, right? Because I'll, I, I, think about if we took the same approach uh, to people who, who were emo and, and cutting was a big thing, right? All they want is uh, to cut themselves, to feel pain in, in that way. Would you hand them the knife and yeah. say, I'm going <laughs> to affirm you know, this and that's what love is? Of course not. So this this individual should understand this better than anyone else. Um, and so it's it's a little bit disappointing to see that that distinction isn't being made. But I think a lot of people who, who most of the time when people are saying, pretty sure Jesus was a big fan of love, they're not talking about the theological depth of what that means. And they're just using it as a shortcut to, hey, uh, you need to kowtow and not stand up for truth or or for reality in, in a particular instance. You have to bend over backwards, even if it means uh, eschewing what what lo- what the loving response would be in the situation. Yeah, I, I, I like what you were saying about the mental health aspect of it, um, because as you're saying, you know, people with any sort of dysphoria or dysmorphia uh, are in general uncomfortable with their body or, or an aspect of their, you know, what their, their biological reality, you know, whether it's a limb um, or it's an appendage or it's, you know, their, their, the, the biological sex that they are born with and are. Um, and with all the other types of dysphoria or dysmorphia that people have, you know, if they have like, uh, they feel like they're supposed to live with one arm, you know, we don't go and hand them the bone saw to cut off their arm. Uh, we try to get them some sort of mental treatment and, and things like that. And that doesn't mean that um, those people aren't suffering or aren't deserving of love or anything like that. It just means like in order to best love them, you're going to treat whatever, you know, uh, uh, disassociative mental disorder they, they have occurring with them um, because that's truly what love is, right? Like there is an ideal reality to live up to um, and every effort and loving thing that we do is only love if it fits towards that reality. If it doesn't fit towards that reality, then you're actually making it worse. That's the definition of it. You know, people like Jamie Torkowski and a lot of these other postmodern types of folks want to do away with that underlying reality. They want to make sure that there is no right, there is no straight edge to go against, there is no you know grain of reality that we have to uh, actually you know adhere to. And so they opt to rub against it. And when they get splinters, you know, they start crying and saying that there's something wrong and that we all need to keep rubbing against the grain of reality in the same way. And I th- I can't remember the who gave the statistic. Um, but I do know that the rates of suicide in transgender people, and the last statistic I saw, which was a couple of years ago, was around 30 to 40%, right? Both uh, prior as well as basically unchanged after transition. And in many cases, uh, this rate of suicide is higher, is the same or higher than the rates of suicide uh, in the Nazi concentration camps, as well as the rates of suicide among uh, African-American slaves, uh, when slavery was legal in the United States. And so you, in order for you to, you know, 
make this argument that the reason transgender people are killing themselves at such high rates is because they're so oppressed. You literally have to argue that they are as oppressed and, and encounter as much mental anguish and physical anguish um, as you know someone in a Nazi concentration camp or uh, as an African-American slave. And I, I think that's a really hard thing to do, especially when you have every single major American corporation and media outlet and all of the entertainment industry and in the major TV shows like The Last of Us, uh, you know, basically propping up this style or this these types of lifestyles in them. Um, you definitely didn't see, you know, major media in Nazi Germany portraying Jews in a favorable way, right? Like yeah. that wasn't something that occurred. And so um, I just think it's 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 tragic to me that we uh, we can like people like Jamie Torkowski will mask uh, their hatred of reality, their hatred of truth uh, as love in order for them to, you know, basically advance their ideology. And what Jamie Torkowski very much might think that he's doing something loving, but in reality, he is just pushing people towards the destruction. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you you bring up those examples of like the culture and and how how people have to and and I know that this is a, 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 an intrinsically different kind of identity. So so I'm not trying to conflate these two, to be clear. But I, but when you look at the hyper politicization of the U.S. right now, in in a lot of ways, people latch onto their identities that they pick for themselves, regardless. Uh, if it's, you know, like, regardless of if you're bo born with, like, I you know, I'm born a man and I have that identity. But in many ways, identities that I choose, I I, I almost identify with more strongly because I, I have thought and I choose that, right? And so when I think about something like a political identity, when when people, you know, mock or, or I don't know, deride something like, oh, libertarians are this way or that, you know, I can, I, I, there are a number of responses I have because frankly, they're insulting a, a big part of who I am and who I choose to be. Now, I get that there's something different when they would say that they are intrinsically this, you know, they're, a, a trans woman is intrinsically a woman and they were just born with the wrong biological defects. But in many ways, I think that you have to also recognize that there are plenty of identities that are getting mocked and derided in common media. People are getting disowned for as well, that you don't see the, the kinds of like suicide rates. I mean, like, think about like the, the way that that Trump people were just absolutely called less than human, called traitors to the state, and they cling to that identity more in a defiant way, and, and it doesn't drive them to suicide. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say it's the same thing. People can say, well, that's it's not intrinsically who you were born to be and all that sort of thing. But I'm just saying that there are, you know, lots of different identities where people are mocked and you don't have the kind of response that you do uh, with, you know, from the culture where the culture will mock them and you don't have the same kind of response in like suicide rates or depression based on those kinds of things. The other thing I want to address is the the sports crisis and because they're saying there's no crisis there. But when you when you're talking about it, um, I think you have to separate a couple of things just so that we're clear on what we're talking about. If we're talking about youth leagues, I think that is a crisis in many ways because even though I wasn't a particularly athletic individual, I, you know, as a kid, I, I played in sports, you know, I played baseball growing up. I played a little bit of tennis, but I, you know, was on like not anything serious, but soccer teams and in groups and stuff. And, and being able to be a part of those teams is important for a lot of kids. It's important because you're you, oftentimes you're benchmarking yourself against your peers and you're trying to aim to improve in, in light of everyone around you. And if you disrupt that, well, again, if you had a, a mixed boys girls league, that only usually works when kids are really little and there's not these big differences. Once you start 
aging up and you start into into some more formative years of those kinds of things, the, the leagues start separating because you would have total domination of one gender over the other. Uh, and you would you would have, you know, the, the boys basically outshining the women in many cases. Now, of course, there are plenty of people who are going to say, well, that's absurd. I know, you know, I'm a woman. I play soccer. I could kick the average guy's butt at soccer. And it's, it's fine. I could kick a professional soccer player who's a male's butt, whatever. But it's like you have to look at bell curves of when you're talking about, about broad policies, you have to look at broad data. And you look at bell curves. And so, yes, at, at the peak end of the bell curve of top performing women, that does intersect with the bell curve of men for sure. But it's just like the Serena Williams and, and uh, Venus Williams thing where they took on, I can't remember what number he was. He was like 51 or number 50 of the top 50 men's tennis uh, ranked guys and, and Serena Williams being number one. And I think Venus number two or something close. And, and he beat them both. And, and so... You know, it's it's not to say that there aren't impressive women in sports. It's not to say that women can't be better than men in sports. That is all true. But you also have to look at the broad data. You have to look at the broad realities because otherwise you're comparing two very separate things. And then you end up with uh, if you if you ha- let trans people into like a sp- in particular trans born men transitioning to female into women's sports, you end up denying women the opportunity which these set-aside leagues were made for to highlight the excellence in women who uh, were born with a specific you know predisposition and either in spite of or because of that predisposition can excel in certain ways and when you mix in something that doesn't have that same predisposition you're you're eliminating the need for any categories at all in the same way it'd be like trying to you know enter a, a an oil canvas uh, competition uh, for painting and then you know using uh, a a an ai bot to reproduce the most famous ai painting in the world with a digital you know perfectly illustrated uh painting you know machine design and then entering that into the competition you're not starting from the same place uh it's not it's not a good category categorical uh similarity to to enter enter those two things just because the end result is the same many many of the reasons why we have sports divisions is because we are trying to categorize things in a way that is fair to players, that provides for good entertainment for everyone, and gives good benchmarks for everyone to progress and to um, grow with. Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the next post. Uh, we start with a quote retweet. Um, and so the first tweet reads, like most wars in history have been fought in the name of religion or had extremists pretend that it's about religion. Just a really dumb concept. Uh, And uh, a friend of mine named Katie, uh, quote, retweets this with a chart. um, And uh, we've got the Encyclopedia of Wars data cited here. And she she tweets, I'm curious, how is 7% most? Is this something people actually look up before saying? And the the attached chart from the uh, Encyclopedia of Wars uh, says religion causes war. And then lists 1,763 wars by cause, 8,000 BC to 2000 AD. And you have religious wars broken up by uh, three point, I think that's 9% uh, or 3.8, somewhere in that range. Uh, Islamic, uh, 3.2% non-Islamic, and then 93% uh, secular. Uh, Yeah, and those are government uh, wars versus religious wars. So uh, what do you think about that, Britt? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and I've got some hiccups, so I apologize, folks, if you hear them as they come through. <laughs> but uh, 
this is a classic example of like a Reddit argument or like an, uh, someone sees some some post on Imgur and, and they're like, oh, like all wars are started by, you know, religion. And and then you say, well, which ones do you think? And they think, oh, they always say the Crusades, right? Like that's their right. first like example of it. Um, and I don't know the, this actual stat or this Encyclopedia of Wars, you know, um, site or whatever it is. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But it's on a nice graph. And, oh my gosh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, this lines up with the reality that I think we all know, right? Which is that most of the time, the only thing that has a standing army is a government. And in order to have a war, you usually have to have a standing army. And usually the thing that governments want to use standing armies for is to advance their own power um, and, you know, what, what, whatever type of squabbles they've got. Mo most people do not want to fight in a war or fight a war that they have to be a part of or pay a, a big cost for, right? Uh, the second people are actually confronted with the cost of, you know, whether it's sending their own son or daughter off to, to fight in it or if they see the bill that they're actually paying, most people are very, very anti-war. Uh, when it comes to it. And so uh, you have to rely on, you know, governments rely on propaganda and things. And so I guess where the critique might fall a little short, you know, is that maybe governments do use religion or some religious ideology in a way to justify some sort of war. But uh, I mean, I guess if we're adhering to the data in this chart, even that's not not very true. Yeah, I the the thing that that comes to mind when people talk about, oh, man, re religion has caused so much war over the years. I actually think that you're 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 misplacing a little bit because in many cases, what ended up happening was the the king had to go to the church or to the religious body, uh, whatever you know. Oftentimes, the pope, uh, sometimes like Church of England or or whatever, um, and and get permission to to go to war. And so, a lot of these religious wars were more like. Wars in search of a cause for religion, and the, you know the the religious institution might have given the okay, but the the they it, in many ways it's very much like how uh, the the executive branch in the U.S. government nowadays is supposed to go to Congress for a declaration of war, but instead just ends up moving troops and then gets Congress to fund it. Where you know the king would wanted to conquer this land, the king wanted to expand his or her empire, and the church was just a a way that they needed to get the, they need to get the sign off they needed to get the approval uh from from the head you know religious figure there in order to justify it to the people in order to say they quote, quote unquote had god's blessing and so if anything in many cases the church would not give that blessing and you had a lot of uh prohibitions from skirmishes from battles and from wars that would have otherwise taken place if there had been no no religion or no checked authority. So I, I think that a lot of people think if there was a religious tie-in at all, that counts as a religious war. When if anyone's looking at the the recent history that you've even lived through, you can you can see how that's kind of a faulty premise. How war hawks want to go to war 
period. They want to expand their power. They want to expand their control and they will justify it through any means. And sometimes the church was a religious or the religious leaders in the church was a convenient excuse to do it. But it was, it was not the inception of many wars. And I'm guessing that that's probably what this data is citing. I'm guessing in that 93% of wars, you probably have some that were, you know, claimed to be in the name of, of Christendom or, or other, but in, in actuality, there were, you know, sources that show the king was going to declare war. The king was moving his troops because he wanted to take out that rival ruler uh, and then just got the church's permission because he said, oh, they were infidels. Therefore, we can go wipe them out when that had nothing, no bearing on the king's actual decision. Yeah. And like maybe even. Even if, you know, the uh, the wars thing is wrong. Right. Uh, and let's just let's just go with for for lack of a better term, quality over quantity, right? Like the 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 number of wars started by by uh, religion outnumbers the amount number of wars uh, started by or 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 any sort of conflict started by you know just governments being agnostic or atheist or whatever. I mean, you got to reckon like we were talking about with the 20th century, right? Which is the highest amount of body count, literally, you know, back in the uh, uh, you know in in uh, before Common Empire, like. The equivalent of the whole world would have been killed with the body counts that some of these atheistic and agnostic uh, uh, governments, you know, that perpetrated this in the name of being that. Uh, it would add up to several worlds worth of people um, from, you know, from 8000 BC uh, in terms of hundreds of millions of people and things like that. And so even if you want to talk about like, OK, well, maybe maybe the wars number of wars is evenly distributed. If you look at the body count and the atrocities and the amount of awfulness and evil, uh, I I don't think it's even a debate which type of wars waged by what type of people are worse. Um, I think that, you know, Katie gets it right that uh, that most wars only happen because of governments. But even if you don't grant that premise, uh, she still has a great point, which is, you know, wars started by governments are are the worst kind. Yeah. And uh, I I think... Again, the, the this, you know, I don't think you or I have read the Encyclopedia of Wars. Um, that it's it's a multi-length volume series, um, but they they have. I think this where this data comes from is a, a, a in, maybe in the um, in the index section. I believe they have the the categorization. So it's not like there's a section of this book specifically dedicated to dissecting this particular figure. Um, so there, you know, that you could argue back and forth that there is some discrepancy in terms of whether or not something should or should not count as a religious war. But I think even with, you know, with the, even with this level of evidence, look like you can cut the, the figure and you can, you know, you can change the ratios if you want to. And by, by a factor of 10, yeah. it's like, okay, great. Then you go from like 7% to like 7.7%. Or like, you know, maybe let's, let's be generous. Let's say 28, you know, 2080. And that's tripling the number of religious wars and reducing the the government wars by like ten percent ish. You know, that's still a, a vast majority done in in the name of government and the power of government, not um, through the religious wars. So un- until we get a comprehensive analysis and and stats from from people who who want to throw around the claim that wars were done in the name of religion, like like let's have that discussion. Let's go piece by piece. Let's talk about the data and stats. Um, Frankly, the, the human history is full of of conflict, and such as the the default nature of man is to go into violent conflict. Um, but I, I don't think you can blame that on religion. 
uh, I just don't think that there's enough data to support you unless you want to provide it, which I'd be happy to talk through the data with anyone. So, okay, we're moving on to the next tweet. And this one reads, nothing is sacred under capitalism except the almighty dollar. And uh, there's an attached picture of the, I'm sorry, what, what building was this again? That it's you, uh, uh, Cathedral in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, in Barcelona. That's right. A cathedral in Barcelona. And the image uh, says, what stage of capitalism is this? And as there is some construction going on towards the top of the cathedral, there is a big sign for the Galaxy Z uh, foldable <laughs> tablet laptop uh, product uh, right up top there. It looks, again, looks like it's, I think it's being, I'm guessing that there's some construction going on there and that's why that is up there. So uh yeah. is 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 anything sacred under capitalism except the dollar or or what do you, what do you think <laughs> well one i like that this person used the dollar when it's it's clearly in uh in spain <laughs> or not in america right like yeah, the, you the euro. See, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's the euro um i'm sure that you know whoever paid for this paid in euros not in dollars um but i actually like i don't it's a bad take because this person is obviously saying it like oh this is awful but I don't think it's necessarily wrong, right? Like if you replace if you replace dollar with like, you know, nothing is sacred under capitalism except reality, you know, then then it's then it's basically right. And some background on this cathedral. So there was damage to it. There need to be repairs done to it. They didn't have the funds for it. Uh, they knew that they were going to have scaffolding up. So Samsung approached the cathedral and said, hey, we will pay for the restoration of this beautiful cathedral, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars. And you know what? That scaffolding that's going to cover up, you know, the cathedral as we're like working on it right now already, like just let us advertise on there as we do it. Um, so it's not only like this cathedral would be in a worse space, right? It takes time. It takes money. It takes effort. Uh, it takes value to produce something. And so what occurred here is reality, right? Like you, it, if you want this cathedral to exist, to not burn down, to not be broken, to not fade away into existence, it's going to take human effort. How are you going to justify that human effort? What value are you going to put into it? Someone that has that effort, that has that value is going to need to come along and provide it. And they're just saying, hey, we've come together with an option for mutual gain. The cathedral gets to be built and maintained and Samsung gets to put their Galaxy tablet you know, or whatever phone or whatever it is up on the side of it and advertise and hopefully make some dollars. They also get to flaunt that they are, you know, a patron of the arts and are protecting things. Obviously it backfired for them, right? Because people are saying these things, maybe they should have put up on there and I can't really read it that well, but they should say restoration of this cathedral paid for by Samsung. Like that might've kind of like proofed them against these SJWs and stuff. But like, I really do think that capitalism is the best mirror. It's not perfect by any means, but it is the best mirror of reality and that like if things need to get done, you can't just take it from someone, right? It has to be provided, mutually agreed upon cooperation. Um, and this is awesome. The taxpayers are not going to have to pay for this. The cathedral doesn't have to go away and Samsung gets advertising and I mean, they hopefully wanted to look like a good person by doing or good company by doing it. Um, but obviously it, that kind of backfired. But I still think it's awesome, right? We get to enjoy a cathedral for the price of me looking at a Samsung device that I'll probably never buy because I just buy Apple. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I agree. I, I think that the, the, the funny thing to me is how um, a lot of people will always complain about how the church uh, 
oh, I wish they weren't spending so much money on ornate things and their and their beautiful building. And you know that, of course, is if they could give that money to the poor, it's detached entirely from from the theological perspective of uh, you know beauty and there being some sort of good reference to to honoring God through that. Which again, I, I can understand the perspective, and I think there's a balance to be made. But it is funny that when there is a reasonable solution to that kind of thing <laughs> they they're like oh but it's still bad and wrong because reasons because oh it's capitalism i i think that this is always uh, the the very common reality where there's a a, a, a problem looking for a sol- or a solution looking or a, what is it <laughs> a problem looking looking just, they just people are just looking to go solution back. looking for a problem yeah solution looking for a problem uh of and it just people just they just want to say their piece they want to blame they want to find something wrong with the church and then the church finds external funding so that they can you know presumably you know maintain upkeep or, and then still work on charitable distribution and then and then it's oh is nothing sacred under capitalism except the dollar it's and and frankly people need to to be less worried about this type of this type of concept, I think, as as Larry Sharp puts it with, you know, government roads and bridges and stuff, if this kind of thing were more common, uh, you would actually have things in better repair, generally speaking, as a rule, right? You would have bridges being fixed on time. You would have roads without potholes. And you see that with the private sector doing those kinds of things. And if the price to pay for that is a little bit of advertising, shoot, I'll take it. Like, that's that's a really good trade-off to have nicer things is to see, hey, we're the person who's putting up the 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 cost for this. Um, hope that hope that gives you goodwill. And and frankly, it's funny because th- this kind of thing is done in non-fiscal ways. So this person's complaint about nothing is sacred under capitalism except the almighty dollar. Let's just assume for the minute, you know, he means the currency. And and you're like, sure, that that's that's true. Uh, but this, if if you think that's a problem, you have to recognize that there's more than just uh dollar or euro currency there's also social currency and i would argue that when you have a tv show like i don't know let's say the last of us uh where you rewrite a character to be um politically appealing for individuals in current era and you're rewriting these characters that were not currently written that way you are doing the exact same thing you are you are kind of putting on a billboard this is my ideology and we want you to like us more because of it we we want to curry good favor for you and we're putting an advertisement out for this ideology and, and in that in the case here i'm talking about for the last of us they turned two characters who were very minor characters in the game they gave them uh, a, a a homosexual romance subplot and they went hard into it or whatever and to me it's like in that in that sense, the writers are putting up a here is the value statement. We want this community to like our game, our show here. Uh, we're we're posturing. We're we're buying social currency by by making this change here. And so the people who are like, oh, it's so evil of Samsung to try to curry good favor with people by paying for repair of a, a steeple. Also, have no problem with oh, the writers of The Last of Us are changing characters in order to win favor with a group of people. The only difference is is it doing being used. In for a for a literal currency or a social currency, yeah, I think that there's very similar uh, uh, trends going on there. But you can only criticize the one where there's a a, a, pr- a profit to be had per se. Uh, that's a, a literal profit fiscally. Yeah, I just I, it bums me out that like cooperation is looked down upon as evil, right? Like yeah. that's in a sense that's what this is is 
the cathedral needed something and Samsung needed something and they cooperated and the sum of the parts is more than each part individually. And that's amazing. It's, it's everyone gets something out of it. No one was violently forced to do it. And, you know, not only is the, uh, the two people that were part of it benefiting, but also the public, right? Like I get, if I ever go to Barcelona, I'll get to enjoy this cathedral uh, at its peak ability to, you know, inspire because a company wanted to advertise on it. And I, I have no idea how they're tracking, you know, the sales off of or anything. And it might even be, it's just like, Hey, like some manager or marketing director likes the cathedral in Barcelona and like wants to give back, but also needs to justify the ROI in some way. Um, so they have to do it. And it's like, this is just awesome that people can get together and make things happen. And that's what capitalism really is, right? What stage of capitalism is this? Well, it's the stage where people get to cooperate and make amazing things um, so yeah, I don't, I know they want to say late stage or whatever, but it's like, well, I don't know this, this to me is a sign that it, it works, right? Because people, a lot of times will complain, well, well, if we didn't, um, you know, have the government, how would we maintain all of these beautiful national parks or how would we maintain the cathedrals or St. John's, you know, or St. Peter's Basilica, you know, whatever. It's like, well, I case in point right here, right? Late stage capitalism, as you would put it, uh, make sure that people that want to maintain things are going to maintain them and figure out how to do it. That's exactly right. Okay. And our last uh, take of the episode comes from the chair of the Libertarian Party, uh, quote retweeting someone. So we'll start with the quote retweet, which reads, why do you think, why, why do you, why do you, I think, <laughs> I think it should be, why do you think I think, or why do I think pornography should be banned? It's bad for relationships. It's bad for society. And it's bad for your soul. And Angela McArdle uh, tweets, banning it solves none of these problems. What do you think, uh, Britt? Oh, it's a great take. You know, but you and I both um, are against uh, pornography. I mean, we, we're both uh, monogamously married, happily so. And, uh, um, and we, I believe, and I know you believe in, in the same sort as I do, that pornography is the enemy of monogamous relationships. It's the enemy of uh, uh, relationships that were that from our Christian per, per perspective, uh, that are, you know, uh, ordained by God. And so I don't think you'll find any more so of, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, people that are against pornography than you or I, but at the same time, I don't think it should be made illegal. Um, I don't think that, you know, we should have the, especially shouldn't have the government, uh, doing that. And Angela's completely right, right? Like, if you ban these things, like, what does that do? It makes the government the arbiter of what is or what is not pornography. Do we trust the government? You know, even, even if you think that it should be done, do you trust the government to be the arbiter uh, and the best executor of what is or is not pornography? Especially given all the sort of things that we've just gone through, you know, with the transgender stuff, with uh, the confusion about sexuality, you know, the, the, the cultural elites, as they would have us know them as, uh, obviously have no clear understanding or biblical understanding or share any understanding with us, uh, the people that view pornography as bad, um, about what pornography is or, 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 or any sort of healthy sexual um, you know, lifestyle. So obviously we're not going to get it from there. It's not going to turn out the way that you want. And on the other side of it, like banning something is not going to actually make it go away, right? Like the only way to address pornography is to address a person's heart uh, and to address that desire that's inside of them uh, and not only take it away, but also replace it with something that's healthy. If you're only banning it, you're only doing half the equation. Um, and it's honestly, it's the least important part of the equation, right? Like the most important part is that your heart changes and that you desire something that is good uh, rather than, you know, be averted to something that is bad. Uh, 
Yeah, I I think that we are, you know, this this topic um, has has come up recently, very specifically, and I, I'm not sure how aware you are of the specifics going specific goings on. Uh, like that, the deep that fake sort of stuff, front, or whatever. yeah, the deep fake stuff. Yes. So, um, a, an individual uh, who had a large following. I was actually a fan, unfortunately, uh, of his other content because he's he's actually from the Super Smash Brothers melee scene originally. Um, he as a streamer um, was uh, his, he was streaming and he alt tabbed, and in this alt tab, um, it was revealed that he. Uh, had a tab open with deep fake pornography of other streamers. So kind of like coworkers, people he knew in real life. If you're not familiar with deep fake, it's essentially superimposing uh, someone's face onto another person's body, often used in this particular context uh, for things like um, uh, pornographic acts and stuff. So you're seeing other people's faces on on, uh, other women's bodies, usually women, some men, but usually women. Uh, so uh, horrible, horrible stuff, awful stuff. And so this has brought it into the into the limelight of discussion. Uh, people talking about, in particular, why deepfake is is awful and how you know people own their image and they're and you know there's no consent involved and all these kinds of things. But what's interesting to me is that the response of this being banning, um, I think it's one of those things where it's a little bit futile. Where I would love yeah. nothing more than for pornography in all forms to go away and to to be completely eradicated. Um, I, I don't think that that is at all feasibly going to happen in particular when you have this very technology emerging people act, you know, in, in the short term, you know, banning this kind of thing might be useful in the sense that you are able to use it for the basis of, you know, legal takedowns. So you see, you know, your image being used in a way and the, that, that stuff is, is, you know, illegal. Therefore you can have them legally threatened to, and have it being taken down that way. And that's great. But the problem is, um, that only goes so far when this technology will inevitably become more and more accessible to the everyday person. Uh, we look at it now as, oh, well, you, the distributors of this deep fake porn, or just broadly speaking, the distributors of porn will will take a heavy blow if we make it illegal. The problem is with with enough content, with enough distribution, you would have to have an authoritarian lockdown of all information going in and out to stop the technology that will make it possible for this kind of thing to be made in-house. Every person having the ability to create this awful stuff on their own with a toolkit. And that I think is the is the biggest problem uh, with the idea of banning things is that you don't actually end up banning things that you want to ban. You just uh, push it deeper underground into more. You advance things. it in a lot you of ways. You advance it. Yeah. I, a, a, um, a horrifying but relevant statistic is that in I don't remember the country. I wrote about this a while ago. But there, there was a particular country um, that had child, por- child porn- pornography banned, and they legalized it. And when it was legal, um, reported incidents of sexual molestation and abuse of children went down. And so you wonder, you know, for every action, there is an unintended consequence. And so if you think about you know, and I'm not necessarily trying to make the claim that you should legalize child pornography because I think a lot of that involves direct abuse good clarification yeah Yeah, i'm not 
But but I think that um, along the similar principle, you have to wonder if banning pornography is going to cause also an unintended consequence of a lot more assault and abuse and things like that going on uh, for for people as well. That's that's a, a definite possibility. That's also scary. And you don't actually ban it you because of the the distribution. I think a lot of people who want to ban pornography also laugh at the idea of banning guns because it's such an absurd premise, especially with the idea of ghost guns being a thing. And, uh, you know, the ability to 3D print uh, them right from your home as a technology that's inevitable as well. Um, I, I think the same kind of technology is going to come to this realm. And you're absolutely right that the human heart needs to change. Uh, and we need stronger moral guidance than yep. regardless. I think that's the, the best answer you can you can offer. Yeah. And I think this is because uh, um, you see a lot of conservative type people making this argument, you know, like Matt Walsh and, and other Daily Wire people. And I think it's a sign that their arguments are weak, that they have nothing to offer, right? The, the second you say, well, something is bad, so therefore it must be banned, it just means that you you don't have any good arguments, no moral standing, no ability to, you know, persuade uh, other people about why they should or should not do something and any ability to affect the culture. Um, and that's what happens when you, you know, when when you've lived lives of desiring power and you know people can see the hypocrisy and like oh you want to start this war or that war or or uh you know a lot of uh really big named conservative christians you know are on their third or fourth marriage you know things like that it's like well you know once you abdicate that area of responsibility like bad actors move in and you are powerless to defend yourself and the culture from it or you and you have no leg to stand upon and so uh, in order for this to truly be addressed, not only do we need to offer up uh, um, you know, an alternative to it and be persuasive, but we also have to be persuasive within our lives, right? We have to live lives that are good, lives that do honor these morals that we're saying, and not just on the front of sexuality, but in other ways as well, um, or else it's not persuasive, right? We're not, pro we're not providing a more cohesive, more persuasive, more attractive vision for what life should be. Um, and no one's going to be persuaded by it if, if we don't live that way. And so my hope is that, you know, a lot of these conservatives and a lot of the people that do are against pornography and against these different types of, you know, sexual lifestyles that are, you know, to me are wrong and bad and not good for human flourishing, uh, that we, we adhere to that human flourishing, that perspective of having human flourishing, not just in that side, but in, in the other aspects of our lives as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the, the the only other thing I will I will say is that to, to to pivot a little bit from this specifically, but when people talk about the the harms and and the bads of deep fake pornography, I think that it, it inevitably you know the people who who want to ban all pornography recognize I think rightly that normal pornography is a gateway into the worst kinds of perversion, yeah. which I would argue deep fake is a, a a further extension of that depravity, and so when when people try to claim oh my gosh I, how how on earth could someone like Atrioc do uh, that was like the individual the streamer who who was caught doing this how could they do that and it's because we live in a culture where it's normal to talk about people going to pornographic sites it's normal to 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 uh, say oh everyone does that it's okay you justify that and you just create um awful situations where this kind of behavior is told it's the norm and i think sin is often and, and you know, maybe broadly speaking, we talked about sin on the last episode, but maybe more broadly speaking, evil is um evil is very characteristically similar uh across the spectrum, how it it, it always hungers for more. Uh C. S. Lewis wrote, 
in, in terms of an ever-growing desire for an ever-diminishing pleasure. And that's kind of how evil manifests in many ways. And I think that just the nature of pornography is is very much lent to that description where there will always be a further step that people want to go to into depravity. And so I think one of the first steps into stopping maybe this more pernicious harm of deep fake pornography that uh, overrides consent and it, it uh, you know, causes a lot of body dysmorphia uh, for, for people. Um, the first step to that is maybe realizing that the first step pornography itself is also yeah. harmful and leads to a bad, uh, bad track there. So, okay. But uh, with all that being said, uh, I think that's it for this episode. So thank you guys so much for tuning in as always uh, give us a like comment, share if you found this enjoyable or interesting, we appreciate it and we'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Mm-hmm.